Hey guys, welcome to Blue Springs Baptist Church. We are so excited that you have joined us to walk through the Word together today with us. And we is, it is our prayer that you would uh, be blessed by this in such a way that you would hear from God uh, through His Holy Scripture and that your heart would be transformed to walk with Him deeper and to know Him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's our hope and desire and our passion and reason for doing this. So we want to invite you to know Christ uh, through sharing our sermons and the word with you each and every week. Mark 6 this morning. Mark chapter 6 this morning is where we'll jump into. Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last November. Uh, just walking back again through the gospel of Mark. Just do a quick review for us as we uh, jump in there, just as a reminder and just as a thought. Uh, uh, Mark is the shortest gospel, so a gospel is the good news, right? It's the testimony of this is the life of Jesus, and it's the shortest account between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four testimonies uh, of Jesus' life that we have in the Holy Bible. This is the shortest. And so the way Mark writes is he, he writes a lot of quick snapshots. Like he'll say the word immediately a lot. So if you start reading in the book of Mark, at the, at chapter 1, chapter 2, you'll see he's jumping from one scene, one uh, circumstance, one situation in the life of Jesus to another one very quickly. Though it may be a day or two has passed and he still uses the word immediately. We know people who tell stories differently, don't we? We know people who like to tell stories in really long ways. They drag it out, you know. You sometimes, don't you? And he, he is, you know, he's laughing, so that's y'all can laugh too. I didn't insult him, you know. Y'all probably think I talk too much too, don't you? That's uh, thank you. It's fair. I, I'm I'm a big boy. I can take it. And so Mark's making a lot of these quick transitions, and what he's doing is kind of hitting the high points, the key moments that you and I need to understand in order to understand Jesus Christ and exactly his mission here on the earth. Because if you miss his mission, then you miss what he's all about, and you miss the gospel, the good news, and you miss, if you miss the gospel, you miss God. The gospel, you miss God. It is literally the dividing factor between heaven and hell, according to the Bible. So that's why we must be great protectors of the gospel, ones who understand it well and can speak it often. And so here we have Mark just kind of writing in this way. And today we're going to come to Mark 6, just cover a few verses we hit last time in November, and just kind of carry on into the news section. And really, the issue he's dealing with is the issue of faith. What is faith? What is faith? Now, we know faith. The author of Hebrews uh, writes it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He defines the word faith. He says this, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if you have faith, then you are, are hoping for something that your eyes have not yet been placed upon. It's something in the future. It's something that, that you have been told and promised and that you're assured this is going to happen in your life. This is what faith is. This is what hope is. This is what trust is. It's trust. That's what faith is. So if you're reading the Apostle Paul, who was blinded on a road, he was traveling to Damascus to kill Christians. If you're reading him, he was completely changed by Jesus Christ. If you're reading the book of Romans, his great book on the gospel, 
gospel where he just clearly like lays out this is what the, the, the good news of Jesus is, one verse after the other. The first three chapters, what he does is he tells us that God must punish sin. God has to have wrath. God has to, because here's the thing. If, he's not, if he doesn't punish sin, then he's not a just God. But later on, as soon as he finishes that, that section up on chapter 3 and chapters 4 and 5, the very next thing that he covers for you and I is the issue of faith. This is what faith is. This is what faith looks like. The truth of it is that we trust the reason faith is so necessary because it's, it's the foundation of, of what we are doing. It's the foundation of our relationship with God. If there's no faith in God, then there's no trust in God. If there's no trust in a relationship, then there's no relationship. So if there's no trust, there's no relationship. If there's no trust, there's no faith. If there's no faith, there's no salvation because faith is the most basic component of our salvation. It requires we actually believe that Jesus is God's son. It requires we actually believe God is who he says he is in the Bible. That's what faith is. And that he did send his son to die and lay down his life, a death he did not deserve, a death that in fact we deserve to die on that cross. And yet Jesus says, let me make a great trade with you. I'll trade you your sins and the death you deserve for eternal life in heaven and salvation because I love you that much. This is what faith is completely based upon. This is why you and I, we come here this morning, and that is the very necessity of why we've gathered. If there's no faith, then there's no worship. If there's no faith, there's no trust. And if there's no trust, there's no salvation. Just think of it this way. If you're on the football field, you're playing your position. I don't care what your position is. That's your position. If you don't play that position and if your teammates don't trust you to do the job you've been assigned to do, there's no trust. There's no faith. I've played with folks like that where they don't trust you to play your position. So what they do is they try to play your position and their position too. And that usually ends up somebody getting burned. You know, somebody's getting beat. And I'm going to tell you what, if there's no trust on how you relate together on the football field, that relationship has deteriorated. And if you don't trust your coaches, if you don't trust each other, then there's no way that you're ever going to play a game well. So it is your coach's jobs to ensure that you trust them and that you trust each other. That's why when you miss a play, they're on you because they've got to ensure that your team can trust each other to do exactly what you're supposed to do. Right? Same in our families. Same thing in our families. If you trust your mom and dad, that's a wonderful, glorious thing. But sometimes our, our sinful lives, we fail each other. And dysfunction creeps in. And trust deteriorates. And then all of a sudden we have these passing doubts and these questions of are they really going to do what they said they were going to do in the first place? And all of a sudden we can see the family crumble when there's no trust, when there's no faith in one another. Same in the church, same in your workplace, same everywhere you live your life. If there is no faith, there is no relationship with one another. And there is no relationship with God in heaven. It's simple. It's simple. And here's the thing about God. God demands our trust. Because if there's no trust, then there's no belief, there's no trust in the gospel, in his son, to accomplish what he's come to accomplish, and therefore there's no heaven. Right? There's no way you and I are going to get to, get to heaven apart from that faith. This means 
because he asks us and demands us to trust him, because the gospel and salvation starts with faith and trust at the very foundation, does that mean you can't ask God a question or two? Does that mean when you've got a question, you can't come to God because you should just assume that it's faith? No, no, you can bring your questions to God. That's a great thing. In fact, I invite you to bring your questions to God. He's a big God. He can handle your questions. And we've been asking God questions for centuries. Bring the questions to the Lord. He will answer them. But here's the difference. If the heart is soft enough to seek the truth and to seek the foundation of faith, then that is a heart that longs for trust. That is a heart that longs for faith. That is a heart that longs to worship Him. So if you're asking your questions with that kind of heart, I think it's a wonderful thing. Seek Him in faith and trust. Now here we have Mark, and Mark 6 is writing and telling us in verses 1 through 6 of Jesus' return. Jesus has been out and about. He's crossed the Sea of Galilee. So in Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee. There's a Jordan River that flows south from the Sea of Galilee, and it flows into the Dead Sea. He's up here in the north. And he's crossed it once. Remember, he calms a storm on the way across the first time. Then he heals a man who is possessed by a demon while he's over on the other shore. And then he comes back across the shore the second time to see a captain's daughter is dying. Jairus' daughter is dying and he, raises, and he heals her and saves her life. And then immediately he went from there in verse 1 of chapter 6 to his hometown Nazareth. He went from there, verse 1, and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Those are Jesus' brothers right there. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now technically, we covered these verses. But for the sake of understanding what Jesus is going to do here next, I think it's important for us to recover them. For chapters, Jesus Christ has been healing. He's been doing these miracles. He's been working in all these awesome, incredible ways, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But right here, Mark decides to stop the telling of the miracles and tell us a story of his rejection. Why is he stopping these miracles and these stories of his preaching in order to tell us of his rejection? Well, think of it this way. Rejection is a lack of faith, isn't it? Rejection is, at its basis, a lack of faith. It's an absence of hope. It's a lack of desire. How many girls have you asked out and you've been rejected, right? They had no desire for you, right? It's happened to us all. All that matters is you find the one. That's all I'm saying. And one of the enemies of hope, of faith, is this issue of familiarity. Now, familiarity can be a wonderful gift from the Lord. But because you know something, sometimes you have your, 
You don't really want to put your hope in it. You don't want to really put your faith in it. You don't really want to put your trust in it. See, look here at this. Remember, back in Mark 3, Jesus Christ was even rejected by his family. Remember, he's out working, he's doing these miracles, and straight up, his mom sends his brothers to go get him and drag him out of the situation. Jesus, you can't be doing this anymore. Quit healing these people and quit saying that you're bringing a new kingdom when the Romans are putting pressure on us and and stop it. And they literally are dragging him out of the situation. Stop doing what you're doing. They did not believe in him in Mark chapter 3, verse 3 and following. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They did not believe yet, yet, yet they will come to believe. John tells us in chapter 7 that they didn't believe either. Jesus is rejected by his own family. And Jesus is even rejected in his hometown, right? Look at this right here in, in verse, um, in verse uh, um, I lost it here. Three, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, here's the thing. In this culture, in this day and age, if you remember, if you've read any of Scripture and, and like where they talk about the genealogies, they never say the son of, and then they name the mother. They don't, because it's always the father is the head of the household, and they always say the son of the father, and they name the father's name. The son of Jared, right? Or the son of Methuselah, or the son of, of uh, you know, Abraham, or the son of Isaac, or the son of Jacob, right? You know what they're doing right here by naming his mom? Truth. They're calling, him a, they're calling his mom a whore. That's what they're doing. Them's fighting words. You know what I mean? They're, 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 the only fight that I've really ever been in my life was when someone put down my mom. It was after school, she was the principal, everybody put down my mom, right? The only fight that I've ever really fully seen through in my life was when someone put down my mom. And so you had this rejection of all the people of Nazareth, even rejecting his entire family. Your mom's a prostitute. Your mom, you know, I mean, just agging it on. And they say these things like, we can't trust his wisdom and his teaching because we saw him grow up. We knew him. We can't trust his power because they thought they knew him. When in all actuality, they were so far from the truth. Verses 5 and 6 show us here clearly there's this lack of faith. There's this lack of God's work in their life as a result of their lack of faith. What does it say? And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. So the basis of all this and his lack of work there is Jesus is saying, it's not that Jesus couldn't work because, in spite of our unbelief, but Jesus is saying, because there is no faith in me, because there is no trust in me here in Nazareth, I choose to do no work among these people. God will not pour into those who do not believe and do not have that faith. Here's the thing about God. God doesn't stop having power right here. It's not that all of a sudden no one believes in Jesus and like because there's lack of faith, it's like Jesus is kryptonite and all of a sudden he's, he's bound and he can't do any powers or miracles or anything like that. No, God still has his power. Jesus is still king of kings. He's still Lord of lords. He's still ruler of all the heavens and all the earth. 
what you and I need to know is that we need to be people of faith. For God has the power to meet every individual in this room's need today in the way that he knows how best to meet it. What does Romans tell us? For God works everything together for the good of those who love him. Who love him. Who have faith in him. Who have trust in him. The good of those who love him, right? Jesus here is saying that love requires trust. Love requires faith. If there is faith, then there is a reciprocal love. I love my wife. We are married, and that's why marriage, Paul says, is a wonderful picture of the gospel because there's this, she trusts me, I trust her, and when that trust is broken and when it is shattered, then there's no faith between one another, and that marriage very likely may not survive. You've got to restore the faith and the foundation that your marriage is established on. And so when the Apostle Paul says marriage is a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ, a picture of the, the relationship Jesus has with us, he's saying there's got to be faith. There's got to be a reciprocal love. I do good for those who love me, he says. Verse 7, let's keep moving on, Mark 6. And he went out among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Only take one change of clothes, that's what he's saying. And he said to them, Whatever you enter, or whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. Now here's what you and I need to see. Jesus Christ as taking these men, these apostles that he has trained and poured his life into and now he's sending them out into the region to do exactly what he's been doing for chapter upon chapter upon chapter in the book of Mark, right? He's saying, I've got this authority. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to place this upon you. You speak on my behalf. You teach on my behalf. And guess what they're teaching? They're teaching the same thing that Jesus has been teaching. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a new kingdom on the way, and it ain't Rome. There's a new kingdom. God is going to establish a new heaven, a new earth. There is good news awaiting you. The one that you want and have longed for years to see is here, the Messiah who will remove all the sins of Israel. And Jesus is sending them. He's training them. And look at the manner in which they're sent out, two by two, right? Yes, you could go back to Noah's in the, Noah and the Ark, right? That uh, all the animals that, were, uh, that uh, weren't for sacrifices or for eating of meat, right? They, they entered the Ark two by two, you know? That's kind of where my mind immediately went to. But here Jesus is saying, go together so that there's witnesses and so that there's clarity and that so no one can falsely accuse you of something. I believe that's what's happening here. And he says, here's what you need to take. Nothing. Nothing. Well, first of all, why? Why take nothing? Well, let me say this. 
there is a reason he's having them take nothing. Now, I don't believe this is the way we should, first of all, go into every mission trip experience. Like, hey, i got to change your clothes and a plane ticket. Let's go to Africa. You know what I mean? Or let's go to Australia. Or let's go to Indonesia. Let's just go. No preparation whatsoever. No. Because later on in the gospel, what he does is he sends 72 out, just like he's sending these 12. And he tells them, you need to take this, and you need to take this, and you need to take this, and you need to take this. So I believe this is an extraordinary circumstance that we're putting our eyes upon here today, okay? So when we're going on a mission trip this summer to Ohio, and what we're going to do is we're going to train you, and we're going to see this is how you share the gospel, and this is what it's going to look like as you run this basketball camp, and this is what you're going to do, and here's what the days are going to look like. There's going to be training. There's going to be understanding. We're trying to build you up and give you the ability to take the word of Jesus Christ and to share it effectively. Now, right here, why? Why has he said take nothing? What's he, what's he doing? Well, there's lots of reasons. But the major reason I think you and I need to understand today is the reason of faith. Take nothing because you need to trust God's going to provide. What Jesus is doing here is he's building their faith up because one day he's going to leave them. And guess what? they're going to be the only preachers left. What needs to happen in the church each and every Sunday is that your faith needs to be built up because what's going to happen at about Sunday at about 11.45, 11.50, we're going to leave each other and you're going to be the carriers of the gospel to the community that you live in. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying trust God to provide for whatever you need. Trust Him to provide for whatever you need. There are moments where God speaks, and, and, and from our perspective, it makes no sense to do what He's asking us to do. I don't get it, God. But in those moments, we have but one choice, and that choice is to take that leap of faith. It's to trust in that God who is giving us that call. Each and every one of us, we have had those moments where to the world it makes no sense to believe in this. Like, for instance, that Jesus Christ died, laid himself down. No one took his life, remember? I always want to say that Jesus chose to lay himself down on the cross and take our penalty, our death, that we deserved. And it is in that, in that where God is coming to us and he's saying, believe in this, trust in this, have faith in this. Because this is the thing I'm calling you to and to the world. It makes no sense. But to the heart that's been softened and to the ears that have been opened up and to the eyes who have seen, this makes every bit of sense and you've got to do it. Because there's nothing else in your life in that moment that will satisfy you like the leap of faith of believing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. Have you taken that leap? Have you believed and told people where your faith is in? Now here, we see him continuing on. He tells these other instructions. Hey, when you go into these towns, knock on these doors, and if they welcome you, you stay in that home. Just cause so and so that you meet a day or two later welcomes you and they got a bigger home and better food, you don't better not go there. You've already been welcomed into this house. 
You guys may go to churches that got bigger homes and better, or bigger sanctuaries and better food. I doubt it. No, I'm just joking. But the issue is that, 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 that folks have opened their doors to these disciples. There's a, there's a document called the, the Didache. This is like an early church like constitution is what it is. It was written around, you know, 100, 150, right, right in that time period. And, and so basically what this is, is it's, a, it, it's like 10 chapters. And in this constitution, in this governing document of the early church, three of the 10 chapters have everything to do with hospitality. That's how important hospitality was in this culture. That's how important hospitality is in our culture. Because it, it, is a, an op, it is, opens up the door to the gospel to go in. And he says, if you go into a town and if you go into a place and there's no hospitality, shake the dust off your feet. So what he means by that is if you, back in the Old Testament, you were wandering and you were, you were, you were on traveling and you go out of the promised land, you go out of God's established kingdom, and then you come back into the kingdom, what they would do is when they reached the promised land, they would bend down, they would take their shoes off, their sandals off, and they would shake the dust off because this was not God's promised land and now I'm entering into God's promised land. And he's saying here, shake the dust off your feet. Just let it be a warning to them that if they don't open up their hearts to God's message and God's teaching, if they don't have faith and trust in God, they need to be warned. They need to be saying, oh, wait, whoa, hold on, wake, wake up, wake up. This is God talking here. This is God's messenger. It may cause them to question what their hospitality is and the openness of their heart to this great, glorious gospel that God has given us. And so in verses 12 and 13, we see these men going out, proclaiming that people should repent. They're teaching just like Jesus taught. They cast out many demons. They were doing miracles. They were anointing people with oil. And they were healing the sick. And all these things were happening. These people were the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what they were. When they left church that Saturday or that Sunday, they were the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. They were sent under the authority of God. That's a lot of authority, by the way, because he has it all. And so they saw God on display in their lives through their hands, through their faith, through their feet, because they had trust as the foundation of their relationship with God. Sometimes we lose trust in each other. Sometimes as sinners, we lose trust in the perfect God of heaven. And we need to reestablish that foundation. Maybe that's you today, and you need to reestablish your relationship with God. That's what repenting is. That's saying, no, I have forgotten how incredible you are, how good you are, and I need this again in my life. One man said this, unbelief robs the church of its power. Unbelief robs the church of its power. There's a Scottish preacher. I listen to a lot of Scottish preachers because I like their accent. I'm tr it's true, actually. And there's a preacher. He's older. Oh, this is years and years and years ago. His name was A.J. Gossip. And once he had another preacher, and Alexander White, ask him why he wasn't at church last Sunday. Pastor Gossip replied that he had been preaching at a neighboring church that day. And, he, and, and so... Uh, excuse me, Pastor Gossip said, I've been, I was preaching down here. So the other pastor said, well, how did it go? How was it? Was it good? Pastor Gossip answered, well, I found it very cold. And White cried out, cold? I preached there two years ago, and I still not got the chill out of my bones. 
He's speaking of the unbelief of that church, that it has robbed that church of its power. Every Sunday we come in here, if you want to see the power of God, then expect the power of God to be on display for you. It is faith. It is faith that allows the hand of God to work in our hearts. We can add new programs. We can work till our fingers are bloody because we have worked, 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 worked. But without any believing expectancy, without any trust in Christ Jesus, nothing will happen. The greatest posture that you can have this morning as you walked in here is that you walked in here with nothing but expecting God to deliver everything. Hebrews eleven six. ready? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so then I think the question we need to end with today is if faith is such a big deal, how do we receive faith? How do we receive faith? You remember last year when we started Upward Basketball, I said I would never coach. And then Jason conned me into assistant coaching with him. And that worked out good because Jason got to yell and I got to sit there and do whatever he needed me to do. Well, this year I was like, oh, I can do this. I can coach. Well, I made it through all the season really well. Now all you guys need to pay attention because one day you're going to do something stupid like I did yesterday, okay? This is going to happen. And so we're playing. Actually, my team's playing Jason's team. And so we're working, and Andy is doing a great job. He's usually Andy, you know, is up helping me. He's, you know, we work together this year, and and this time he's decided to sit there. Usually he's the one I, you know, I'm I'm sitting back and letting Andy do what he does best. He's the coach, not me. And so we're playing, and and my child, who's who's six years old, um, is he six? James, okay, just checking. He, I mean, you know. Got to get it right, okay? It's important. That one year, five, I, I was like, I had this doubt in my head he was five for a second, but we cleared that up real quick. And uh, he, you know, he comes over. It's toward the end of the game. I mean, he is crying. And, and, and this is what I hear him say. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, the dude scored like four or five baskets. Right, he's doing great. I said, you get out there right now and you play right now. It was a great parenting moment, okay? <laughs> I thought he was whining. I can't handle the whine, right? If you're speaking whinies in my house, it's, it's, you're cutting it off, you know? I can't handle this. You get out there and you play right now. I just thought he was whining. Well, the problem was he got hit in the face with a ball or a fist or something. I don't know. And he got hit in the nose, you know? That hurts, you know? That's sensitive. And he's coming over. I just hurt so you know, he's got that high pitch. You know what I'm talking about. And, and all of a sudden, like, I, and I had no clue the kid's gotten hit. I didn't see it. And I'm like, you get out there right now, you know. And then, you know, Katie comes over. She's sitting in the stands, and, and she sees it, and she explains what happens. This is the worst moment of it all right here. And then I look up, and there's my mom looking at me. You know, I'm just like, oh, dude, you have messed this one up messed this one up you know why you know why I didn't believe my son because I didn't hear him the Bible says faith comes through hearing I can't trust him if I didn't hear what his need was 
I can't trust him if I didn't hear what he was saying to me. I felt like a fool because I didn't hear him. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing. By hearing the word of Christ. And what they were doing, these apostles, were just trying to spread faith and spread trust in a God who had already done miracles among them for years and centuries and had sustained their life. Yet in our sinfulness, we have forgotten how good He is. All they were trying to do was take that message out and say, hear this God and how incredible He is. All they were trying to do was reestablish faith in a God who was being so gracious and so merciful to talk to sinners like me and you. And that's what God does today. That's what He's doing this morning. Through His Bible, He clearly convicts us and He moves amongst us. His Holy Spirit is praying for us, interceding at the right hand of God, Romans chapter 8. Jesus Christ is whispering into the Father's ear who is sitting upon the throne. Please, Lord, I died for that one. And I died for that one. Please, Lord, help them have faith. Help them to trust you. Have you heard God speak to you this morning? Have you heard his message? There will be no faith. This morning, God is calling you. He is. Because many of you are listening. And your hearts have been softened. What's he calling you to do in response to him? How's he moving in your heart, in your life? What do you expect God to do in the next few moments? Because I prayed last night with expectation because I believe God will do mighty things today and tomorrow and the next day in our lives and I prayed for each of you the question is will you believe in the God that is speaking to you now let's pray Heavenly Father we come to you this morning and we ask for you to Lord just move in our lives help us to believe and to trust you it is a simple statement it is a simple act yet God we doubt and we fail but God in this moment restore us when we have not believed in you and help us to take that next step to you today simple faith and whatever you're calling us to whether that's to salvation to repentance to follow your lead in whatever circumstance in our life we want to respond with a big resounding yes to whatever that is Lord So lead us and have your way. In the name of Christ Jesus our Lord we pray.